morning. Lord blessed us in our first service. We had two families join our church, the Sarver family, Kevin and Marcia Sarver. They moved away a few years back, and the uh, Lord brought them back to the Toledo area. So they joined, rejoined the church uh, after living in West Virginia for a few years. And then Lois and Carol Zerniak, they joined this morning as well. So we're glad, glad the Lord is adding to our church. We praise him for that. We're thankful for that. Turn with me, if you would, to James chapter number one. James chapter one, I appreciate you praying for my family as we were away. Took a few days off last week and uh, visited family and uh, was able to see my mother and visit my dad's gravesite as well. It's been probably 10 years or so since I've been able to do that. And so uh, enjoyed, enjoyed doing that. I, last week, I had a... Uh, Something I wanted to share with you, a joke I wanted to share with you. It was a great Father's Day joke. And uh, so I'm going to share it with you this week, even though it's not Father's Day. I think, I think you'll like it. I hope you do. There were these three fellas in the waiting room. Their wives were, having, were pregnant, having babies, and uh, they were waiting in the waiting room. And all you men know what that's like, right? Just waiting to hear uh, what, uh, what you got. And the nurse came out and said to the one, she said, congratulations, you just had twins, and he was so excited, high-fiving the other a couple guys and excited about that. He said, this is awesome. He says, I work for the Minnesota Twins, and I just had twins. That, just how unbelievable is that? Isn't that a great thing? And again, the guys are all excited. A few, few minutes later, the nurse came back out and said to the second guy, congratulations, your wife just had triplets. And he got excited. He high-fived the guy that had twins, and he said, this is amazing. He said, I work for 3M, and my wife just had triplets. Isn't this amazing? How does this work? And these two guys are all excited. The nurse is excited, and they look over, and the third guy is just sitting over in the corner. He's crying. He's upset. I mean, he is just noticeably upset. And they walked over and said, what is wrong? He says, I work for 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> all right, James, chapter number one. James chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But let, them, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse number 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of low decree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich, in that he is made low because of the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Father, would you help us today? And Lord, bless these next few moments. 
Lord, I pray that you were pleased with our attitude and our heart, Lord, in worshiping you through singing and through giving. I pray, Lord, that you were pleased with our fellowship and encouragement one to another today. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit work. Lord, there are some that maybe need to trust Christ as your Savior today. And Lord, if that be the case in lives, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal that to them, convict them, show them their need of a Savior. And I pray today they would, by faith, trust Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Lord, I pray for those that maybe are going through trials, as James spoke of here in chapter 1. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today. Pray your Holy Spirit would speak to them, minister them. May your Holy Spirit comfort them. Lord, I pray that you'd teach them something today that would encourage them to draw closer to you through this trial. And Lord, I pray just as your children today that we would have joy, that it'd be seen in how we behave and how we talk, how we act. I pray that others would want the salvation that we have because of the testimony that we have. And uh, Lord, if there's any area of our lives that need to be adjusted, that need to be fine-tuned or fixed, would you do that today? We depend upon you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of James, the author is James. We know this from verse number one. James says just simply, James, a servant of God. He's telling us who this author of this epistle is. Many, many Bible scholars, if you were to study this book, you would find that many believe that James was the brother of Jesus. And so we have this man, James, potentially the, bro- the brother of Jesus. And he's writing to a group of people. He says those which are of the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. It is a first book of what is referred to as the general epistles here in the Bible. Paul writes epistles, and many, uh, if not all of the epistles that Paul writes are either to an individual person or they were to an individual church. Now, we can learn, obviously, and study from those epistles. James and First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John and Jude are called general epistles, and the reason they're called that is they're not written to a specific person or a specific church. They're just written a general epistle to believers. And they're called this... Um, for, uh, for that reason, these general epistles. James, his theme through this book, although we're not going to study through this whole book today, we're just going to study the first several verses of this chapter. But in this book, James speaks much of works, and he speaks of faith. Now, James is not, he's not emphasizing that you work your way to heaven. In no pl- nowhere, and many will take the book of James and They'll confuse some things that James is saying, but you must take Scripture upon Scripture and, find, and, and, and realize that James is, is speaking of faith. Now that we're saved, now that we're a child of God, now that we have been redeemed, our lives ought to show something. We ought to do something with the salvation that we have, but we can't do anything to merit or gain salvation. Salvation comes only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You can't work your way to get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. James emphasizes what faith produces. Now, James speaks, as does Paul, about justification by faith. 
Justification, a great way to uh, understand and remember what the word justification means is just as if I had never sinned. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, that moment they are justified, meaning this, when God sees them, he doesn't see them in their sin, he sees them in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ covers them and God no longer sees them as a sinner. The day I trusted Christ as my Savior, the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior, God sees me in Christ. The blood covers me. And so we find it faith. We are not justified by works. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross. Not because of anything that I can do. It's not religion that saves me. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not works that save me. It's faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross and the fact that he rose again from the dead. Matter of fact, Paul says this in Ephesians, writing to the church at Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. He doesn't say by works are you saved or, or, or grace plus anything, but simply by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What Paul is telling the church at Ephesus is this. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God. It's nothing that you can do to merit it or keep it. It's all through grace. Not of works. Because if it was of works, then we would boast how we got saved was something that I did. And if, there, if we could be saved in our own works or in our own strength, then Jesus Christ would have not needed to come and die upon the cross. He would have come and died in vain. But he said that he was the way. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus Christ himself said, he is the only way. Paul writes to Titus in Titus 3.5. He says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And Paul is very clear in writing there to Titus saying this, that it is not anything that we have ever done. It's totally dependent upon Jesus Christ in his mercy. And so we find faith. Faith, we are not justified by works. We're justified by the grace of God. And, and, and then we find James does speak of works. And what James speaks of this, we are justified for works, or not justified because of works, but we now work because we are saved. Our lives should produce something now that we're a child of God. In Titus 3.8, Paul writing to Titus, he says this, this is a faithful saying, in these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be so careful to minister good works. So those that are saved aren't saved because of what they've done, but now that they're saved, the evidence of their salvation should be shown in how they behave, in serving others, and how they live. And so James is now causing the Christian, the Christian, those that are already saved, to evaluate their lives and, and ask themselves, how are you doing, or what are you doing for the Lord, the Bible says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so faith is the root of our salvation. And works is the fruit. And don't confuse the two. Faith is the root. And works 
is that fruit. Because we're saved, we produce something. When Paul, when Paul stresses that works will not save you, he is speaking of the works of the law. And so James here is stressing that works are essential. He's not speaking, he's speaking works of faith, not the works of the law. And so I want you to turn with me to James chapter 2, if you would, just by way of introduction here to this book, James chapter number 2. James says this, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. And James says this, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. What James is saying is this, I'll show you that I'm saved because of how I live. I don't live this way to get saved. I live this way because I am saved. I am a child of God. And that's because God sees your heart. He knows if you're saved. God knows, sitting here today, God knows every single heart. He knows if you've trusted him as his, your savior. He knows if there's been a time in your life if you've been born again. He knows you if you are his child. Others might not know that. Your neighbor can't see you, your heart. And your neighbor doesn't know if you're saved. If you were to ask your neighbor sitting next to you, am I saved? The truth is they would have to say, I don't know your heart. But the way you behave, the way you act, the what you, how you live, it's evidence of you're saved. So I believe that you may be saved because of how you behave and how you act. Because they don't know your heart. In James chapter 1, verse number 22, the Bible says, but ye... But ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own, your own selves. But be ye doers. And he's saying, so do something with what you hear, with what the Bible says. Don't just gain knowledge, but do something for the Lord. What you learn, you ought to be active in serving the Lord. A Christian that's saved ought to be growing in their faith and growing in their relationship with the Lord and serving the Lord. The longer you're saved, the longer you ought to be serving the Lord and growing closer to Him. James also tells us in verse number 20, chapter 2, verse number 20, he says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It's dead. And so James is challenging the Christian to do, do things, to work for the Lord. Not to work for salvation, but to work now that you are saved. In the epistle of James deals with the ethics of a Christian. How a Christian ought to behave. How a Christian ought to act. There ought to be something different about a Christian. A person that proclaims that Jesus Christ is their Savior ought to act like the Christian. Ought to act Christ-like. And James deals with this. How does a Christian behave? He first begins to deal with a Christian. The very first chapter begins with deal with a Christian that is going through temptations or trials. Every single human being will go through trials and go through hurts, whether you're saved or not. Temptations and trials are not just for saved people or unsaved people. The reality is this, every single human being is going to go through some level of hurt in their life. You can mark it down. It's part of living in this sin-cursed world. It's part of being a human being. It's part of going through life with hurts and trials. Every single person is going to experience trials in their life. But the difference is what James is speaking about is how you handle those trials. 
How you deal with those trials are different if you're a Christian or if you're not. If you're a child of God or you're not. How you deal, the ethics of a Christian. Once a person is saved, James is showing us how that person ought to walk in what a relationship and a walk with God, what it looks like. And so James starts out this first verse of this chapter. He tells us who he is. He's James. He's a servant of God he, he, and, and of the Lord. He tells us this, that Jesus, it's his Lord. He tells us he is, he is, he is writing about Jesus in that his brother Jesus, uh, uh, we believe that is his brother. In the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, this is his Christ, the Messiah, and he's speaking to believers in Christ. And he says this, this one word, he says greeting. Greeting, and that word greeting means this, rejoice. He says to the Christian, I am, I am a, uh, the, uh, Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior, he's my, uh, my, my, my Christ, the Messiah, and as I begin this chapter, as I say to you, greeting, what he says is this, I, I'm commanding you or I'm telling you to rejoice. And I'm so glad that he tells us to rejoice before he gets into any more of this chapter because then he gets into some pretty deep stuff here for the believer. But he says, before we even begin, I want you to rejoice. Now, how do we rejoice? How do we rejoice knowing there's trials? How do we rejoice knowing that there's difficulties? How do we rejoice knowing that there's temptations? And it's, it's difficult to live here on this earth and, and to experience life without experiencing trials and without experiencing difficulties, without uh, experiencing pain. How do, we, how do we know those things are going to happen and still be able to rejoice? Because what he's going to share with us is this. We don't rejoice in the trial. We rejoice because we know the Lord. We know the Savior. We have the Messiah. Therefore, whatever comes our way, we can learn to rejoice because of who he is. Let me just give you a few thoughts here this evening, this morning. And I hope that'll help us here as we live our Christian life. He says this in verse number two, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. He says in verse number two something very unique, I believe. And if we just looked at verse number two, we would say it's impossible. It's impossible. He says, I want you to count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When trials come, I want you to count it as joy. When, when difficulty comes, I want you to count it as joy. When your life, you experience trials, I want you to have joy. And he begins, number one, I want you to see this. He begins to talk about the heart, the heart of the believer. The heart, how we Live the heart of the believer. James goes right after the condition of our heart. He says, I want you to evaluate where you're at in your heart. How are you doing? If you're a child of God, then there must be something different about you. 
when these temptations come, when these trials come, he says the Christian, the believer, he counts it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You see, joy is a heart issue. It describes where our heart is when the temptation comes. Temptations don't produce joy, but rather joy produces victory in the temptation. Oh, I pray you get that this morning. The temptation isn't what produces joy in a Christian's life. The Christian that has joy when the temptation comes, when the trial comes, when the difficulty comes, the Christian that already has joy, the Christian that already realizes no matter what what is coming their way, who Jesus is and the security I have in Christ and who, that he is my Messiah, that I'm saved, that I'm born again, that heaven one day is my home. That, the, that God is my Father, when a Christian takes joy in those things, no matter what comes their way, a Christian can maintain that joy because that joy produces victory. That joy produces victory in that temptation. And joy, joy is not an unrealistic um, attitude toward hurt. It's not an unrealistic attitude toward pain. But what joy is, joy is this, is acknowledging God's grace and acknowledging God's presence in your trial or in your pain or in that temptation. Joy is knowing this, that through this, no matter what comes my way, God is present and God's grace is sufficient. I can survive any storm. I can resist any temptation. I can have victory in any trial in my life because I recognize who God is. God is good. The reality is this, God is good all the time. If God isn't good, then I'm going to fall apart. But we aren't going to fall apart. No matter what comes our way, we can have victory because of the goodness of God. And so we find here, he says this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. No matter what comes your way, you as a Christian can live with joy. No matter what trial you have, no matter what burden you're bearing, no matter what you're going through in life, a Christian ought to have joy because their joy is not found in this world. Their joy is not found in material things. Their joy is not found in circumstances. A Christian's joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, I want you to write this down if you would, please. He not only says, count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations, he says this in verse three. James speaking to the Christian, speaking to you, speaking to me. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith Work of patience. He goes to the heart of the believer and then he goes directly to the mind of the believer, knowing this, knowing this. He says, I want you to know something. He wants us to realize there is a purpose and there is a plan for the trying of our faith. Well, that's important to know, Christian. Because any time you experience a trial, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Whatever you experience, going through whatever trial you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, anything that you are experiencing, anything that you're going through, there is a purpose and there is a plan. 
There's a reason for it. God has a script for your life, and God doesn't make mistakes. God has a plan for your life, and, and God doesn't make mistakes. He uses those events. He uses those trials. He uses those difficulties to prepare you and to show you things about himself that you never would know before unless you go through this trial. Realize there's a purpose. Trials are not there to be wasted, and trials aren't there to, to, for us to just simply try to get through. We as Christians, we need to learn, as he says, the trials here, knowing this. Have it solid in your mind, knowing that the trying of your faith, it works patience. It works something in you. By you rejoicing in your heart, realizing that this is a part of God's plan. No matter what we go through then, we can experience this trial, this trial of faith, and it works something out in us. It worketh patience. It betters us, causes us to be more like Christ. The trials that you go through, the burdens that you carry, the temptations that are there before you, the Christian that produces, lives in a, in a, with a heart of joy and has a proper understanding, what they'll learn is this, that that trial, it works something out in them. Trials are not to be wasted. Trials are meant to complete you, to cause you to, to be Christ-like. In verse number four, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That trial is there to perfect you. It's there to mold you into what God has for you. Now the truth is most of us would like to live our lives without any problems. Sometimes we need to be very careful. Oftentimes we need to be very careful what we hear. We can, we can listen to preachers on TV or on the internet or on the radio and the prosperity gospel is if you're having problems, all you need to do is, 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 is trust Jesus and, and do these things and send this money and, and all your problems are gonna go away. I want to tell you that's not true. You don't find that in Scripture. Once you get saved, it doesn't mean every single problem in your life goes away. No matter, no matter what, sometimes God uses those trials to, to perfect you. And you've got to have a sound mind, understanding that's what God's doing in your life. Allow God to work. And we need to be careful we, not to allow our minds to direct us in a way that other, other than realizing or knowing that God is at work in our life. Sometimes our mind plays just havoc with us. Sometimes we get fear. A situation brings fear and, and we want to make a decision or maybe run from something when God's not wanting us to run from something. He wants us to run to him. Our mind begins to wonder sometimes, maybe in your trial, you might wonder, does God really truly love me? Does God really truly care? Are his promises really for me in this situation? And sometimes we don't doubt God. We know his promises are true. But sometimes our mind can tell us that that promise, it doesn't really, it doesn't really uh, 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 pertain to us. And our minds can cause us, cause us pain and our minds can cause us to think wrongly through temptations or through trials. And we need to be careful. The Bible says, knowing this, 
Be sure of this. Know this, that the trying of your faith, it works patience. There's a plan for it. There's a purpose for it. There's a place that you will get to that only you can get to when you go through this trial. It doesn't make us want to go through a trial, but it makes us understand in our mind that God knows what he's doing. That God's plan is always right. Knowing this, that his desire is that we would live out our life in faith. Listen to me, Christian, God's desire for you as a Christian is to live your life in faith. Believing him. Trusting him. So therefore, do you know what God does? He puts you in places in your life that you must then live by faith. Live by trusting him, depending upon him. Trials may come. Temptations may come. Hurt may come. Uh, uh, issues of life may come. And, and when they come, it's simply there so that you live by faith, trusting in the plan that God has for you. We need to know this. Know this, that God has a plan for your life. Each person that's a child of God, God has a specific plan. We're not to go through life just, just mundane and, and just survive, get up this day, just go through life, to go to sleep, to get up the next day and just go through life. God has more for you than just going through life, than just surviving life. He's got a plan for your life that he wants you to live. And in that plan, there's a purpose and there's a reason. God has a specific reason for your life. So many people, so many Christians go through life and they, they never figure out what that is. God has a specific reason and because of that reason there's trials that you'll go through because there's things he wants you to grow in. We must know this, that in no matter what trial we're in, the trial of our faith, we can overcome. And it's not because you have the strength, but it's because God has the strength to give you. Know this, it's for our good. We need to know this, just like Romans 8, 28 says, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. The reality is this, that that verse applies to you. Sometimes, like I said earlier, sometimes in our struggles, in our life, we might think, I don't doubt God, I know his word, sure, I just don't know if that promise is for me. I want you to know that every promise in God's word, it is for you. Every single uh, verse in this book, it is for you. And when Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. That verse is specific for you and is specific for your trial. It is specific for your condition. It's uh, specific for the burden that you're carrying. God has something good that he wants to bring out. It requires faith. Because of this, Christian, we must guard, we must guard our mind. It's in our mind that confusion comes. And we've got to guard against it. It's in our mind that fear comes. We've got to guard against fear. Because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. 
Those days that fear overcomes you and anxiety overcomes you and discouragement overcomes you, you must recognize this. Know this in your mind. There's not a spirit that God is giving you, that God gives you a spirit of peace. And in those days, in those times of fear, discouragement, and confusion, we must ask God for a sound mind knowing this. That the trying of our faith, this trial, this burden, this event has a purpose and a meaning that God is doing something in our lives. And our minds need to be established on the word of God. And Christian, this is so why, it's so very important that we are, uh, uh, we are in the word of God, that we're reading the word of God, that we are studying the word of God and memorizing the word of God. And that we are building our lives upon the word of God because this is what our minds and our hearts ought to be established upon. If the Bible says it, then it's true. If there's a principle in there, then we are to live by it. If there's a, a principle in there, then we are to build our lives upon it. The word of God is what gives us a sound mind in a world that's falling apart. The word of God is what gives us a sound mind when discouragement comes. The Word of God is what gives us a sound mind when the trials come, when we feel overwhelmed and we feel like we're not sure if we can handle one more day of this, when we get to a place of anxiety in life. What gives us a sound mind is not anything other than the Word of God. And so we must build our lives upon this book. Then I want you to see in verse number five. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. We see here the heart of the believer. We also find here the mind of the believer. We also find the desire. James is showing the desire of the believer. Verse number five is an interesting verse, and the Lord really used this verse to help me. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. James is, in context, this verse is telling us about the trying of your faith. He says, just in the verse, know this, uh, verse 3, the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect in entire wanting nothing. You say, that's perfect. I, I agree. I, 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 I agree with you that, that God has a plan. I, I agree with you that God has a purpose and God has a reason for this thing. And, and I, I understand that and I agree with that. But the reality is this. It doesn't help me make the decisions I need to. How do I make good decisions while going through a trial? How do I make good decisions when I can't trust my mind at times? How do I make good decisions when at times I can't trust my heart? The Bible says this, if you lack wisdom. Wisdom is what? The mind of God. If you're not sure what to do in your life, James says, if you lack wisdom. Now, he's not putting anyone down. He's not, he's, not, he's not saying that, that you're, you're, you're some kind of a second-class Christian because you don't have the answers. 
Matter of fact, what James is saying is this. There's going to come times that trial is going to rock your life. That burden that you're carrying is going to be difficult, and you're not going to have the answers. And a matter of fact, you won't know what to do. And the counsel you go to, they won't know what to do. And you're going to go to books and resources, and they're not going to know what to do. But don't, don't worry. There is one that has every answer that you need, no matter what trial you're going to. And he says, when you come to that place and you lack wisdom, Go to God. He says, God will give it to you. I got a letter from Jacob, uh, I think it was Saturday or so, or maybe Friday. And it was a long letter, and throughout the letter, he would say, I'm doing good, don't worry. You know, I'm, I'm handling the physical part, and, and, and I'm, I'm handling, you know, four o'clock in the morning, getting up with someone yelling at me, and and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know how you can handle all that. But I'm glad you, glad you are, because we're going to start doing that when you come home, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning. Get up. Get dishes done. Feed the dogs. But the whole letter, he was trying to convince us he was fine. He just said, the only, the only thing I'm really struggling with is I'm homesick. I miss home. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this kid is there and everything's fine. He's not going to convince me. I'm his dad. I know better. I was pinning a letter to him. I write him every day. Every morning I write him a letter. I was in my office this morning. I took a pad of paper and I began to write him a letter. And I said to him this morning in that letter, I said, son, I, I hope you're doing well. But I hope if there's any problems that you would know, you could always tell me. If you're experiencing any issues, I hope you know you can tell me. I said, I don't want you to think that you have to protect me from holding it in and not wanting to hurt me by telling me you're struggling. I said, so I want you to know that nothing you're going through will overwhelm your dad. Let me know. As I penned those letters and I put those words down on paper and I thought to myself, that's exactly how God is. There's no problems you face in life that you'll overwhelm him with. And sometimes in life, Christian, we try to keep things. We try to figure it out ourselves. We're struggling in our marriage, and so we try to figure that out ourselves. When, when we're struggling, the answer is to go to God and gain wisdom. And he'll fix it. We go to sources and resources to try to get help that only can come from God. It doesn't come from any other way. We're struggling with, with, with and battling with, with uh, things in our life and in friendships and relationships and work and in finances and emotions that we don't even understand. And all of these things are going through our heart and our mind. And, and God is, is, is telling us through the book of James is when you get to that place, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to find it in yourself. You might find that others don't have the answers. When you come to that place, know this. Go to your heavenly Father. Why do we keep things from Him? Why do we hide? Why do we not just let the Lord know, Father, this is what I'm struggling with today. Lord, this is who I'm struggling with today. 
Lord, this is what I need today. We're supposed to, when that trial of our faith comes, that trying of our faith, when it comes in our life, we don't have the answers. If we had the answers, it wouldn't be a trial of our faith. But God puts you through things, Christian. He puts you in a place, in that place you're in right now that's frustrating you, that place you're in right now that's discouraging you, that place you're in right now that you say, I wish I had the answers. I wish I could figure this out. And it's causing me anxiety. It's causing me pain. God is saying to you, you'll never figure it out unless you come to me. Because what you need is wisdom. And you can't muster up enough wisdom in yourself. It only comes from God. You can't get wisdom from someone else that can only come from God. And we have got to stop running to try to find help or trying to, to, to deal with it ourselves, thinking that we can figure this out and living miserable lives as Christians in living lives where when someone sees us, they say, if that's what a Christian's like, I want nothing to do with that. It ought to be that when someone sees us, they say, boy, you've got a great God because every time you have a trial, it seems like you know what to do and then you can gladly say, it's not me, it's the Lord. Let me introduce you you to him the desire of the believer it's what we seek it's what we seek wisdom is desired because a person realizes the situation they're in can only be helped from God the right way for a believer is to go to the Lord I love what he says in verse number five. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He says this about this wisdom that God is willing to give it liberally. You know what that means? As much as you need. If someone had help and had all the help that you needed, why would we refuse to ask? You know what that means? It'll comfort you, Christian. That when you ask God for wisdom in this situation, when you ask God for wisdom in this trial, he said he gives it to all men liberally. You know what that means? He never runs out. The problem you have right now, God has the solution for it. He's not going to walk you halfway through this trial, through this temptation, through this burden. He doesn't walk you halfway through it and then say, do you know what? I can't help you. I know you've been asking, and I know I've been helping you, but you know what? This time, it's just too much for me. God says, if you need it, ask me, and I'll give it to you liberally, meaning all that you need, enough of what you need, entirely all that you need, it's yours. I like this, abradeth not. You know what that means? That word abradeth means this. It means... Rail at, reproach, revile, chide. He says, if you come to me, I'll never chide you. I'll never revile you. 
You know what he's saying? When you need wisdom in your darkest hour, in your struggle, in your difficulty, in your trial, when you don't know what to do, if you'll come to me, I'll give you all that you need. And you know what I won't do? I won't push you away. Maybe your parent, maybe you had a parent growing up and, and you, you felt maybe some resistance and if you asked them for something, they pushed you away and they wouldn't want to help. Don't, don't think that the relationship of your, of your earthly parent is equal to that relationship of how God treats you. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And he says this, I won't resist you if you'll come to me. I won't turn you away. I won't make you feel guilty because you want something. He says, if you need it, come to me. And look what he says in the end of verse number five. And it shall be given him. There's a trial. There's a trial of your faith. Whether you're saved or you're lost, you're going to go through. But God has a plan. And we as Christians must live our life to where our heart is right, our mind is right, our desires are right. So in this trial, in this plan, we can accomplish what God desires for our life. That trial is not a wasted trial. That burden you're carrying is not a wasted burden. But God does not want you to carry it alone. He desires for you to bring it to him so he can show you what mercy looks like. He can show you what grace looks like. He can show you what the Heavenly Father looks like and responds to his children.